Welcome to Thinking Ahead, your leading edge insights podcast. Each episode reveals the latest insights on today's consumers and offers a sneak peek of tomorrow's marketplace. Stop guessing what's next and start thinking ahead. In the midst of a global pandemic, consumers remain passionate about sustainability, perhaps inspired by the ominous changes in our world. But as COVID-19 continues to rage, will sustainability become a lower priority? In this episode of Thinking Ahead, we give you an audio version of GFK's recent webinar, The Future of Sustainability, What Brands and Marketers Need to Know. To see the full version, including visuals and data, please click the link in the description. Joining us in this session is Chris Fox, VP of Corporate Social Responsibility at Haynes Brands, Sherry Leonard, Associate Director of Foresight and Sustainability Insights at Colgate Palmolive, and Yuval Steinman, Director of Corporate Planning at Hyundai Motor America. Joining as a moderator is GFK's Rachel Bonsignor. We hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you everyone for joining today. So I want to really start, you know, we've talked a lot about what we see in our data in terms of consumers and, and how they feel. And I want to kind of put it out to everybody here, you know, what do you think your customers or target customers, how they stand on sustainability today? How do they differ from what we see and, and what are the environmental concerns that they express to you? I can kick off. Hello everyone, it's great to be here. Um, so I think broadly climate change is very top of mind for people, uh, but certainly I think in CPG plastic waste is a key concern as well. And I think with one of the, the trade-offs and tensions that people are having right now with COVID is certainly an enhanced focus on hygiene and health and sanitization. And in some ways that is at odds with kind of the, the idea of, you know, eliminating your use of single-use plastic. And, and I think that's something that people are struggling with um, as the pandemic kind of continues where they draw that line and, and where they're prioritizing hygiene versus um, something like, you know, the use of single-use plastic and some of the other sustainable activities. Yeah, we, we, we talked about that a lot, particularly in the context of COVID, um, which is what I also want to make sure we mentioned, too, is that the initial couple of weeks during the crisis made it seem that, you know, we were all just completely putting sustainability on the back burner and, and we're really just focused on how much we can protect ourselves in all of these ways that we weren't yet sure were effective. And now it seems that that might have been a blip. So I'm curious what everyone else here thinks about the overall impact of COVID on this and, and whether it has fully disrupted sustainability. Chris, would you like to start um, us off? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, hey, listen, I, I think it's just a blip, you know, hopefully for lots and lots of reasons we get through this sooner yeah. rather than later, um, and, and we will. But from a sustainability perspective, we absolutely see it as a blip. And in, in fact, as, as we were discussing, we were prepping for the, the seminar, um, we at Haynes Brands um, very much see it, continue to see it as as a long-term trend and uh, and are gonna be coming out in, in October with our own new slate of, of 2025 and 2030 sustainability goals. And, and so uh, I think if you look out, and I've very much encouraged um, our management senior to really be thinking about these issues as a as 10 year plus issues. And in many cases around a lot of environmental and greenhouse gas type issues and initiatives, you know, that you're looking out 2040, 2050. So th this is not gonna slow. I, I do think uh, if anything, it's just gonna continue to accelerate as, as you were mentioning too, especially with that younger consumer. I mean, there's just no question the the 20s and 30-somethings are being driven in a whole range of ways by these issues and uh, and really do see that as just accelerating over time. 
Yeah. And, you know, I'm curious, Yuval, how does that play out in your category as well? Where do you see your target customers and, and how, what is the impact of COVID in that respect? I mean, I think everyone knows in automotive, the, the development cycles are very long. So we do have to take a long view and we, we agree. It's a blip. I think COVID from a product plan or long-term embracing of sustainability is really going to change things. In fact, it might accelerate it. We, you know, we have these EV plans in place we recently announced. So, I mean, for COVID, the impact to our business, you might see more at the dealer level and the sales process, people buying cars online versus going to the stores, the sanitation measures taken when people are doing test drives or getting service. But in terms of the products themselves, we're committed as a company and we don't see the trends changing. What are a couple of reasons you think might explain that, like why we're not kind of distracted by, you know, this massive crisis that's affecting so many areas of our, of our lives? Why have we been able to stay kind of focused and why is it so important? Well, I, again, for us, I, I think maybe everyone here experienced in their business, there was this initial shock um, in the first couple months. And then I think everyone quickly realized this is just a new normal. Yeah. When we get past COVID, there may be something else. And I think it's really interesting to see how all the businesses have adapted to just what, what you do. You wear a mask, you uh, focus on hygiene, and then and then you just kind of look long term. So we find, for example, business people are taking more road trips. Mm-hmm. They're, they're maybe not traveling as far from home. So from us, from a vehicle manufacturer and seller of these products, it may, it may be beneficial. But again, do these cars deliver what people need? And if sustainability sustainability is a long-term trend, are they green? Because I think that's kind of where the world is moving. Yeah. So I want to move on. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about the consumer, but you know, we have so many great brands represented today. And get a little more specific into the role of brands and, and how that you know plays out in your everyday lives. So how do you think generally the relationship between brands and sustainability has changed in the past 10 years? How have consumer expectations evolved specifically for brands to address environmental threats or, or be more sustainable? I think people are certainly holding brands more accountable, um, not just for the impact of like the actual in usage, but then also what happens, you know, on the back end with the packaging and kind of the as the as the packaging and the product live on. And I think we're we're in a world of social media, and so you this idea, this image of a turtle with a straw or a plastic bottle or a plastic bag wrapped around it, like that's you know embedded in people's minds. And I feel like the reach that that has and the conversation that that generates just you know creates a stronger call to action for brands to be very thoughtful about how our products kind of live on. So I feel like in some ways it's, it's giving us the opportunity and, and the obligation um, as people have a call to action, and also. You know, I think being creative and how we find ways to empower consumers to kind of be on the journey with us. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. So what are like some of the biggest challenges in dealing with how kind of savvy and online so many consumers are right now? It's a fully open and transparent world, right? And and, and I think that unless you think that way, act that way, and understand that um, everything that you do is so incredibly visible. And if you if you don't realize that, I think you're probably making a mistake. And, and knowing that, um, you know, you, you act accordingly. I think uh, the consumer, going back to consumers and brands, I think one of the, the biggest um, demands right now is transparency. You know, the, the good and the bad. And it, it used to be everybody was so afraid of sharing bad information. And I, I think now the the bigger risk to brands and companies is being seen as not transparent. You know, it, it, it's, it's okay if you're not perfect. Nobody expects you to be perfect. 
I think it's not okay to feel um, or be perceived as hiding things. And that I think has been a pretty big shift even in the last two, three, four years. Um, right. Transparency, I think, is really critical. Yeah, I, I definitely want to stick on the topic of transparency because that feels like a big part of, of the situation here. And I'm curious, you know, as a brand, how much information do you feel you need to share with consumers about your sustainability efforts? You know, what are those kind of expectations in terms of how much people want to know and, and how um, detailed they want you to get? Yuval, could you start? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I think in our industry, it starts with the product. So, I mean, you, you can say as much as you want about your corporate culture and what how green you are, but if the products don't speak to it, you know, it, it, I think it's, you know, it's not going to be believed. So I think as long as we have products that not only meet kind of the sustainability goals, but also meet people's lifestyles. And I think that's where we are as an industry in this transition. If you look 10 years ago, the motivations may have been a little more unique to be green and then the products were a lot more compromised. And I think now we're getting to a point where it's more mainstream, it's more expected and the bar has been raised. So from a product standpoint, I want all these things that are good for the environment, but I also want something that is is usable for me and my family. So it, again, it starts with the product. Any other thoughts on kind of transparency and how kind of it plays off, you know, with the corporate messaging as well as individual product messaging and information sharing as well? Sherry, any thoughts? You know, ingredient transparency, particularly in CPG, is becoming more and more important. I think the key is to, to put it out there. And I actually, what, you know, Chris said really resonates in terms of people don't expect you to be perfect anymore. You just can't be silent. And, yeah. you know, I feel like in some ways that is, you know, depending on corporate culture, that's a little bit of a... a uncomfortable position to be in um, to say, you know, we're part way there, we're on a journey, but I, I think that's critical. And I think, you know, people are looking for that honesty from brands and from companies and we're all on a journey together, right? No matter where you are kind of in your personal or your, your you know, professional or corporate life. Yeah, absolutely. Are there any challenges that come up with effective communication of these benefits to consumers? Like what, are there any sort of roadblocks or things you've had to solve for on that and trying to be as transparent as you possibly can? I might say one, it's it, and of interest because we, we talked and grappled a lot with, um, along with this new set of goals, we're going to have a new sustainability, brand new sustainability website coming out in October too. And how you communicate from a corporate voice in on issues like this and how do you communicate from um, because I, I think there's an expectation back to transparency. There's an expectation for for both, and especially talking to the consumer that oftentimes they want to hear through the specific brand um, mm -hmm. they're buying. Is it Haynes for us? Is it Haynes? Is it Champion? Is it Bally? Is it Playtex? Um, where there are other stakeholders out there, um, the NGO community in particular is probably more interested in what you're doing at a corporate level. And so thinking carefully about how you communicate through the corporate voice, how you communicate through the brand voice and, and the right mix of both. Um, we, we spent a lot of time thinking about that over the last six months or so in, in putting this new website together. Yeah, I think that brings up a really interesting point that we talk about a lot as well, which is just how you kind of marry your existing brand's equity with your sustainability goals and strategy, especially for a brand that has a wide variety of products and categories like a Colgate Palmolive. So what are some of the challenges of making sure those align and making sure they fit really naturally and speak to consumers in an authentic way? Uh, Sherry, if you could give us off. 
sure. Yes. So I think obviously, you know, it's critical to understand the equity and the values that your equity brings when you're making some of the decisions about kind of where or how do you play in the sustainability space um, most impactfully. And it's not just what does the brand stand for, but also what categories it's playing in, you know, what is its reach? So we look at our portfolio and we have brands like Colgate and Palmolive and Hill Pet Food and things that are, you know, have wide reach, long histories. But we also have brands like Tom's of Maine and Hello, which are more, you know, born good brands, I would say, and very rooted in natural sustainability. So obviously the the way we play, the type of products we launch, the partnerships we can have, you know, are different. But that said, I think we need to understand the expectations that people have kind of across that spectrum uh, and, and kind of where the equity lives. But not only do we have the permission um, to play, but we have the obligation, I think, across the board. And you know, regardless of kind of which equity we're playing under, the a lot of the fundamental challenges with our categories, the plastic, the water usage, that exists. So I think, you know, thinking about how we can address those in creative ways is, is really important. And one of the things that we're doing, we're also launching our 2025 sustainability strategy um, in the next few weeks. And one of the key, you know, considerations for us is how do we help people do good? And we hear people talk a lot about having these great intentions, we saw it in your data, but sometimes, you know, the actions don't always mirror that. So I think what one thing that we can do with our portfolio and the type of categories we play in is make it easy for people to do good. And the other thing is that we consider as we look about where to kind of place our best is the, the magnitude of the impact. So we have targets in play for 2025 around plastic reduction, zero waste facilities, ingredient transparency, even, you know, a social good measure, trying to reach, you know, 2 billion children across the world to give them improved oral health. So I think thinking of it in a multifaceted way and where your various equities can play into that is, is one of the ways we're approaching it. Yeah, absolutely. And I would imagine that cost in particular plays plays a big role there and what people's existing perceptions of, you know, the value of a green product is and how you communicate that across brands. And I'm wondering what for each of your categories a green premium looks like and some challenges of of messaging to that. And you've all maybe you could kick us off, you know, at such a high price tag, certainly there's a, a big different kind of challenge in communicating why this is important, especially during tough economic times. So could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for our products, the the green premium is is very easily seen. We have a Kona line of small SUVs and you can get the traditional gas version or you can get an EV version and consumers can kind of see the the difference, but I think we we have to communicate the value um again goes to the the product and what you get, you know, obviously zero emissions, you're getting all electric getting you know you don't have to go to the gas station you're getting high range and i mentioned this transition period i think there is a little bit of a gap and there are forces in the market that try to shrink that gap our government has incentives to kind of encourage people to go to that but we're you know we kind of carry this balance of messaging benefits and then work toward a place where the technology meets the needs of customers so that gap is shrinking and that's what we're very excited about there was something in the new york times i think on monday about this magic number of battery prices, and we're approaching that quicker than anyone thought, it's going to be the same to own an EV versus a gas car. And that's when really the inflection point will happen. Chris, how does that, the cost and the premium issue manifest itself in your category, where it's much more of a kind of everyday item, you're buying at a lower price stores, like, what are the conversations that you have about cost and communicating that? 
obviously Sherry and I are selling at a very different price point than a, <laughs> than a nice new car. Um, hey, listen, I, I think I think at the end of the day that there is no price premium, right? And, and I think it's table stakes. I think it's the expectation now more than ever that this is what you're going to do as a company. This is what you're going to do as a brand. You know, is it possible that there you could you could gather some sort of small price premium somewhere along the value chain? Maybe, but I think as a general proposition for for us, especially selling into the mass retailers um, as a core part of our business. And Jerry, um, you, you in the same place that um, I think the reality is there there is gonna not going to be any cost premium, and you got to figure out how to do right and do it within your current cost structure. Sherry, would you agree? Absolutely. I mean, obviously, we're, we're in similar situations in terms of price point versus, you know, a car. But I think the other piece is, you know, accessibility is really important. And if we're doing the right thing for, you know, the environment and, and for the population, it's making sure that things are at the accessible price point. So, yes, I fully agree with Chris. We are getting a couple of really good questions. And so I want to shift to that a little bit. The first one, why are so few brands held up as good examples of sustainability like a Patagonia? What other examples do you see out there of brands who you think are doing a good job or, or really kind of walking the talk? I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm obviously biased. We are trying to get there. Um, we recently announced we're going to have this ionic sub-brand of, of dedicated EVs. So I think that's a very focused long-term strategy on sustainability. But I think, you know, you, you mentioned a brand like Patagonia. I think they they were probably green before it was cool to be green and before it was top of mind. And they kind of, they set their tone so early. And that was obviously a, a, a strategic decision. And you could probably say at the time, very bold. So I think it just takes consistency over time. But I think as we look 10, 20 years ahead, more of these brands that maybe you don't think of green now will will have that element to them. The challenge I think they're getting on to, I've uh, obviously in the same industry, I've, I've known folks, uh, my colleagues, similar colleagues, uh, similar roles at Patagonia for years. Great, great people, great company. The challenge now on a lot of these sustainability issues is how do you do it at much, much bigger scale? Patagonia, again, great, great company, but in the grand scheme of things, relatively small compared to a Hanes brands. And so, you know, how do we take the the work that's done at relatively small scale and blow that out to much bigger scale? Um, and I think that that's um, I think that's where where the evolution is going to 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 some of these more niche type brands into the more mainstream scaled, truly big businesses. Right. Which is, I mean, it's a challenge for, for big brands, right, to restructure how they do things and reimagine that whole approach. Another question, um, a little kind of more specific, what are some of the tools you're using to support your product claims of sustainability? I would imagine this could encompass, you know, seals of approval from different organizations or entities or, or any other sort of validation. Can you talk about any of the specific tools that you're using? I think we're, for us, we're certainly working closely with NGOs, and we just launched and are currently rolling out the first of its kind recyclable toothpaste tube, you know, across the world. So I think that's going to be a big step, and obviously, it's something that we've open sourced the technology for competitors. So I think it's only as impactful as you know if the category is doing it. So I think that's one step. But in terms of you know partnerships or, or other kind of seals of credibility, our Tom's of Main brand is recently B Corp certified, and I think that's a big step and obviously there's a lot of rigor that goes into that and you know at the moment i feel like that's probably a seal of awareness that isn't widely known amongst consumers but i feel like that's only growing so i think as more of those come into play and, and that awareness and familiarity builds with consumers it's going to have more of an impact across brands and across categories 
Any other tools from an apparel or within auto that, that you've been using to kind of validate those claims? I think we're we're a little different. This I don't know if this is exactly where uh, that question is getting, but the way to validate is you know we have numbers, whether it's range or how much emissions or miles per gallon. So for us, it has to be very concrete and and kind of clinical and just you know you you're on the lot and you see what the car gets. So for better or for worse, we have to be very overt about what the car does. Chris, what about you? Yeah, you know I, I might just comment just in a little bit of a different direction. There. Um, Lots of very good certification bodies out there across a range of industries, but they also seem to be popping up almost every day. Uh, and I think you, you just got to be careful of the certification relationships that you do develop, and especially mm-hmm. that you communicate to the consumer and, and make sure that you're partnering with the right ones. Good ones out there, but a lot of fly-by-nights too, and, uh, mm-hmm. and I think folks should be wary of that. Yeah, no, that's a really good watch out as well. Uh, next question, how can sustainability professionals help brands and marketing teams communicate sustainability efforts and claims? I think first it's having a seat at the table. As part of the team that that worked a lot over the last six months at Haynes Brands, we had a brand marketer as part of that team. Uh-huh. And where the departments used to be different, right? There's a sustainability group in a department, and then you got the front end of the business and the marketing guys, and um, they need to be same table. And I think just structurally having a much closer relationship with each other is step number one and get out of those silos. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that, you know, more and more of those silos are coming down, but it's still, it's still challenges that isn't any big organization, I'm sure. You know, I think the other thing that we've been exploring a lot is how do you develop kind of bringing this now to the consumer side of it? How do you develop those kind of system one nudges to make it easier for them, especially if you think about a lot of new forms and new products that require behavior change. And again, it goes back to the intention is there, but how do you actually help people along the way? We're getting a lot of good questions in. Have any of your companies done messaging studies specifically on how to approach the climate crisis with your customers or your target audience? And if so, are there any learnings that you can share? I can speak for Hyundai. I think we we constantly... Um, using GFK and other sources, measure intentions, interests, willingness to pay related to green vehicles, whether they be hybrids or plug-ins, EVs. And we obviously track that very carefully and, and kind of match that with our product plan. And, and, you know, it's consistent with the data you're showing. I think I think we're seeing growing interest. And, you know, for better or for worse, I, I keep talking about this transition, the, the practicality element plays into that for consumers. It's a big ticket item. A lot of times it's the second biggest purchase they make after their home. So, you know, price and value come into play. But again, I think we're all heading in the right direction. Next question, as sustainability raises an importance for consumers, what is the responsibility and expectation from your supplier? So how is supplier sustainability becoming an issue, if at all? I think the expectation is that you're doing uh, you're doing right within your own four walls, and that you know your supply chain, and yeah. that you're able to trace back that supply chain. It's an issue with cotton conflict minerals is another obviously good example, and legislatively being required to to trace back into the conflict minerals areas of of Africa. And, and so I think the expectation is, and that's only going to continue to grow. I, I see a time five to 10 years out where you're likely to click on a product label or a package and know exactly where all the ingredients of that particular product originated. I think that's where this will eventually land. It's going to take, it's going to take some time, but uh, 
full transparency of the supply chain is I think where things are really at. Yeah. Sherry, how does that play out at Colgate? Yeah, no, I think very similarly. I mean, people are wanting to know where where things are being sourced from and certainly for a multinational company that that looks different than it does perhaps for some others. But that actually leads me to think about the dimension of sustainability that we haven't touched on yet, but that's localism. And yep. and I think that's becoming increasingly important. And I think COVID certainly spurred some of that, but it'll be really interesting to see how that evolves over the course of the next year or two or five. And, you know, in some ways, I think that that links very well to the sourcing. And, and again, I think that's from not only a safety perspective, if you think about, you know, ingredient safety or other concerns that are coming up, but also um, reliability and availability of products. Again, the, the image of like an empty store shelf is seared in people's minds, I think, from, from COVID. And I think there's still a little bit of a shock value of that. And, and you know, that's driving some of the, the impact of the importance of localism. Yeah, I do. I do think that, you know, we've been talking a lot in the last couple of months about localism and people kind of just being reinvested in their communities a lot as, you know, sometimes out of necessity, right, because they're forced to kind of only shop locally and are just paying more attention to availability and how they're using resources in their homes and things like that. So we feel that that will be a major aspect of it as well. One other question um, as we start to wrap up in the next few minutes, is there an internal push like within your organization to address sustainability or would you say more of the expectation is coming from the consumer and their rising focus on you know climate change and environmental threats? I can jump in. I can definitely tell you for us, it's internal um, and it comes from our parent company in Korea. They've made very public their commitment to sustainability. And I think as a group, they've put the benchmark of a million EVs by 2025, which is very soon. The Hyundai brand is going to represent a huge share of that. So it, it stems from the top and it's not disconnected from the market, obviously. It, you know, at the end of the day, we're a consumer product company and we got to meet market demand, but it comes from within and we're very vocal about that. Chris, would, would you say that's the same at Haynes? Yeah, and no, I think it's been important to us internally for a long time. But at the end of the day, I think it's a mix of both, just as Yuval was saying. You know, it's uh, it's meeting the expectation of a whole range of stakeholders, in, including consumers buying your products. So, you know, I think we are very internally driven like Yuval and, and Hyundai, but certainly with an eye towards, you know, what are the expectations of those around us that are uh, that are watching us? Yeah. Absolutely. So as our kind of final question, I wanted to ask each of you, um, tell us one thing that you would do to advise brands to do differently or to rethink regarding sustainability in the coming months, whether that's to stay in sync with consumer consumers during COVID or beyond the crisis. I'll start with uh, Yuval. Yeah, I, I think we, we've touched upon it. I think it's it's important to look long term. I think I'm, I'm constantly surprised how, how quickly Things have changed even in six months. So I think it's important. You obviously got to react to what's going on, but look long term because there's going to be another crisis. There's going to be another disruption. And and again, beyond that, the product has to speak to this because if you just say it as a corporation and you don't back it up with, with what you're trying to sell, I think consumers are very savvy. The bar has been raised and they're going to see right through it. I think, you know, it's keeping pace with people's sustainability perceptions and how those change. And I think if we, they will evolve, right? We've talked a lot about the different dimensions, um, whether that be ingredient transparency or, you know, plastic use or pollution or what have you. And I think they, the importance of each might wax and wane a little bit, but certainly it's growing over the long term. And I think we need to be aware and keep on top of it as the pandemic continues on, as the seasons change, as, you know, government guidelines change. And, and I think, 
for us, speaking from a research perspective, you know, we're, we're looking at a lot of both passive and, and active and predictive tools to help us stay on top of that. So I think just being very aware that, you know, there's a lot of different dimensions and, and it's a bit of a gray area for consumers, just as it is uh, for the rest of us. Great. Chris? Do the hard work. Yeah. Uh, which translates into be credible and, and then be transparent. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and don't try and cut corners on any of those or you get yourself in trouble in a hurry. Uh, credibility and transparency. With that, thank you so much to our panelists and to all our attendees and have a great day. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And now our closing segment, Listen to This, where we'll share some fun facts pulled from our studies across GFK. What's more important to consumers, sustainability or the economy? Listen to this. New research from GFK Consumer Life's signature sustainability study, Green Gauge, shows that environmental concerns are on the rise in the U.S., despite fluctuations in the economy. In the years since the country has recovered from the Great Recession, financial concerns such as fear of a recession declined, and Americans are now more attuned to the mounting threats of climate change. While environmental concerns have typically rebounded after falling during past recessions, we don't really see any major dips in this situation. It's a continued upward trend. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Thinking Ahead. For more information on today's topic, click the link in the description. We'll see you next time so you can keep thinking ahead.